Well, you know, that's, I'm, I'd be happy to be the first. <laughs> probably the last. We'd probably never get to wear it. We'd be banned on all platforms for that's explicit true. content. Yeah. <laughs> uh, episode 202. Uh, you will be hearing this after hearing entrance uh, music, beginning music, uh, because we're once again capable of looking mildly uh, self-sufficient. Um, so, Let's so, not get too ahead of ourselves, but yeah, mildly with a capital M. Yeah, welcome to episode 202. Uh, I have a strong feeling that this podcast is going to be largely dedicated to all things fuck VAR, uh, but we will try We will try and keep on topic to other things that happened in the game uh, and other stuff to talk about as well, just in general. Uh, we've had Nathan Jones sacked from Southampton. We've had a couple of teams towards the top of the table drop points. I'm sure we'll want to talk about all of those things as well. Uh, but first of all, um, Craig, Adam, how are you? How's the state treating you? How's how's life? What's what's going on? You ready for the Super Bowl tonight? Yeah, ready. Yeah, it's a, a big one over here, isn't it? But yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm still trying to get over yesterday. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, strange. What about yourself, Adam? Yeah, uh, I'm hopeful. Well, firstly, I'm hoping the Super Bowl is like one of the Super Bowls where it's like a, a good game as opposed to one where it gets all the fanfare and it ends up just being an absolute drab affair but it's two interesting teams like two exciting teams so it should be a good one let's let's hope um yesterday was a disaster absolutely i'm already annoyed that we're doing the podcast because i is we're gonna it's gonna be so much bloody officiating VAR stuff that i've i honestly forgot there was a football game uh, i I'm, I'm caught up in the, the bureaucracy at this point it's hard not to with the following comments that the came out after the game as well. I think like you, like, you know, back in the day, you'd be, you'd be going home from the game or wherever you were like on the train. Right. And you just like, you just talk about it and lament the decisions that you saw against, you know, whoever you were playing, you get home, you go to bed, you wake up you'd be like, well, what's new? They're all shit. But now these days, not only in the premier league, but with the introduction of the AR, you, you can't just go home from the away day and get over it by the next day because before you go to bed you've got match of the day and sky sports replaying it and highlighting the fast that was the decision for the offside for example uh, and then right before bedtime you have uh the pgmol or whatever it is come out and say yeah that was a hundred percent a mistake oops our bad and then you're kind of left to ruminate on that before you even go to bed that you've just like, yeah, everyone's just confirmed we've been absolutely victimized here and we have nothing to do for recourse other than the club putting out a timid acceptance of a response of the, of the apology, which frankly, what else are you going to say? Because you can't put a target on your own back. So like, I, don't, I, I know I, I saw a few people on social media kind of going after the Albion for their like timid response. And like it was, but like, yeah, like it is going to be a response when you're kind of getting a half-hearted apology from a essentially the mafia of English football, aren't you? Yeah, it's there's not really much else that you can say. You know, the, the consequence of going, you know, balls to the wall in terms of a response is it's not going to it's not going to fix anything, nor is it going to actually benefit you in the future. So yeah, it it that's that's fine. I I, I get that. It's just yeah, the, we'll speak for at length around 
I guess the the issue, and we we speak about it week on week as well. Um, I think the reality is for me is that there isn't <laughs> they're, they're they're so bad, but there's also no good ones to replace them either. So, well, we can get onto the technical elements as well, but yeah, it's a farce. Um, the fact that there was a whole segment dedicated on match of the day talking about how multiple VARs screwed up multiple games um, in a single game week. Like, in, a, in, in one, two days of football. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I, don't, I, don't, I honestly, I'm, I, I'll, I feel like it's the, the I'm tired Robbie situation. I, I, that's how I feel about it. I just don't, I don't know any way to discuss this beyond uh, just ridicule. Like, I don't, they, they, they picked the wrong player to draw the line from. They picked the wrong player. Like, <laughs> they picked the wrong player. There's only 11. There's 10 players on the other team wearing that shirt. <laughs> you have a, a, a 10% chance to get it right. And it's, I just, even if you, you're, you're guessing, uh, I, just, I can't. It's farcical. I don't know what to say. And it's no, it wasn't a short check either, was it? It was actually quite a long check by VAR terms for offside these days. It was quite a long check. So... Was there nobody else? Did no like? Did no one like who was watching it like on the TV? Like you know how they do it in New York on the NFL? Did no one ring him and be like, "Mate, you you got the wrong one, bud. Like you need to just press rewind a second here. You've got the wrong one." Uh, they honestly need like the old the old school who wants to be a millionaire like stuff where you, you need to like do a little 50 50 break it down or see if we can remove some players from it at this point it's like you used to get the the pools through the door and you had to guess where the ball was to win the that, that's what they're doing uh it's just uh, just pick anything uh just draw it here that's fine as long as the line sort of makes sense uh, as long as it goes a certain it's fine we'll figure it out I, I don't know if my dad's listening to this he'll be loving the nostalgia there the, uh, uh, this, this is going this is aging us that was talking about the pool <laughs> coming through the door yeah uh, there's people in the younger generation listen to this saying what on earth are you talking about uh yeah uh, the the fact that the fact that we all were looking at it from home without all of the like without being able to control the tech that they're controlling we're just observing on the screen and we go hold on that line's drawn from the other bloke's elbow uh, I just, I, I, I can't believe it. And I think the manner in which the game then played out, there was inevitability to how everything happened, wasn't there? Like, Craig, you even said it while we were watching the game. Uh, we knew, we knew this would happen. We knew we weren't just going to walk away with three points after this. It was always going to be a ridiculous situation whereby we ultimately just get screwed. And that decision was one major part of it. And that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, is that yeah the the fast call decision in itself is is one thing, but also how it changes the balance of play and and how the two teams react to that. Um, I think we'll we'll typically see when when a VAR decision goes against a, a team or whatever that you sort of the other team gets a bit of a reprieve, they get a little bit of a I guess adrenaline going, especially in front of a home crowd, um, especially in a, a rivalry such as this as well. So it, it's one of those things where it does change the game a little bit and it, it changes the outlook. Uh, there's, there's a few things that change the outlook as well in this game, but it, in terms of what happens there and, and the, the reaction behind it meant that we were kind of facing an uphill battle from there, despite the complete dominance that we'll speak about. Um, so, so yeah, weird. Yeah, let's talk about some stuff in the chat. And I mean, we will get onto the game at large, uh, but I figure we may as well just 
talk about the obvious one uh, because it's just so bad. Um, and like Mikey said in the chat, uh, mistakes in loads of games, Adam, you touched on it. Like it, This is not just an Albion thing now, even though it is seemingly prevalent in almost every single game we played in 2023, which is astounding to be saying on the 12th of February, not kind of the 10th of January. We're still talking about this being every single week. Uh, they're having to issue apologies to us twice, like once a month at this point, uh, which is just astounding. Uh, but yeah, Chelsea was an absolute disgrace. Um, and I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'll posit the question to you two. Um, but just real quick, Glenn, Glenn in the chat said, if, if I made a mistake of that scale in my job, I'd expect to be sacked uh, and probably never get a job again. Uh, Stephen said it was a lunch break at Stockley Park. Kevin the Cleaner was looking at the monitors. I'd argue that Kevin may well do better uh, than whoever else was in that room at the time. Um, and the, Mikey said the, the weekly brief this time with, with the refs this week will be making sure you draw the line from the correct player. Let's, <laughs> let's, touch, on, let's touch on the question that I wanted to ask. Um, what's worse, uh, forgetting to draw the line at all or drawing it from the wrong player? Because both things happened at the three o'clock games yesterday. Uh, Arsenal and Brentford, they literally just didn't draw the line and they got it wrong, obviously. Um, so what's what would you say is worse at this point? Drawing it, but getting it wrong, or just forgetting to draw it at all? Uh, <laughs> I just... <laughs> I, I just fire everyone involved. Like they're they're they're, they're just both indefensible. To see. the 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 big thing, right? Is is because this is now because you have such a layer on top of this now, where there's so much money that sloshes about for not only where you finish on the table, and that's obviously going to be our stance, right? There's the potential that these two points completely change the future of this club, the future of this club. Uh, it could mean the difference between Europe, difference between millions and millions and millions of pounds. Not only that, but then you've got a multi, multi, multi-million pound betting industry that sits on top of everything here, whereby th- there's livelihoods at stake on people that are gambling on these games where there's these utter clowns that can't see what players the furthest back on a screen. Well, it's 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 utterly indefensible at this point. The the volume of which these mistakes are happening is 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 comical, and it almost. I, I've been a big proponent of VAR just because I think technology absolutely does help. But if you execute with the technology wrong, then it just compounds it into being a greater problem. I'm almost at the point where I'd rather just go back to. You know, lads running back and forth with flags and we do whatever we think and we ignore everything. Because at that point, at least then you're all in the same boat of that the silliness is just going to sort of be back to what we were used to. Now we've got the technology, which means you can get rid of the silliness, but we still have it. I, I, I just can't fathom it. It's that human error, isn't it? is that the the primary reason for VAR was to reduce that sort of human error and, and element of that aspect. And it hasn't solved the problem whatsoever. And I think I agree with you with the the additional scrutiny of the amount of money that's in this game, both from a betting and from a, a positional standpoint, that you're seeing the same issues, apart from they've spent a lot of money on this <laughs> analysis system where people are just drawing lines against the pitch. Like, that that doesn't help in any way. Um, and I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what they're looking at. The people with the technology are clearly not qualified to do it. 
at least if you go back to no VAR, people accept there's some form of human element into the game again. Um, this aims to remove that human element and that human risk, but it hasn't. So, so what's the point anymore? I almost want there to be a fail safe. Uh, and, and of course, then we start to get into this area where it's like, well, it's turning into the NFL where you're pausing for 45 minutes and people hate this idea. I, I agree with you, but set a time limit, but don't just have backups, have two people come to a conclusion independently when watching these games in different bloody places that don't talk to each other. And then they both push the outcome. Now, if the outcome is different for the, for each decision, then you've got a problem and then you can look at it in, in, in more detail. If you both come to the same conclusion, at least there's some checks and balances there. Yesterday, what baffled me is that I don't think Michael Oliver actually went to the screen, did he? They just told him. So some idiot did the wrong thing. And then the guy that supposedly meant to then check it to make sure didn't check it. So basically what they were saying is that we're so confident that it's offside that you don't need to look. Meanwhile, they don't actually know what fucking offside means. I, I, I can't deal with it. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious answer, which we all know really, is like the reason the reason why VAR exists is because the refs are genuinely useless and need all the help they can get. The problem is, is those exact same useless refs that we're just lambasting <laughs> are expected to work complicated technology when they can't even count. I, I touched on that yesterday, that the added time stuff is just, I'm not going to sit here and go, we would have scored with an extra two minutes played. We could have, but they could have scored as well. Like, doesn't matter. But the inconsistency with the stuff, like, it's just, like, they can't even count correctly. So what? how can you expect them to utilise the technology that's available to them? They could, Four minutes of added time yesterday, three minutes, 56 added time was played, and two full minutes of those added time was out of play. So where's the game? Like, where, like what's going on there? Like, and I know people were like, happy or like it was real like love it or hate it with the world cup and the amount of added time but like it was good like it actually presented us with actual game time instead of this nonsense i mean aside from the embarrassment of palace defending for their lives and wasting time at home uh to grind out a draw which is always nice nice to see in a, in a kind of twisted way but i think for me like i think we touched it a few times um we need a totally different set of staff to monitor VAR. No, no, no refs. We can have ex-players. We can have uh, up-and-coming coaches. You can have coaches from different teams. Like whatever you want to do. Andy Townsend's doing all of it. That's the only, that's the only option. It's got to be because he's on everything. Andy Townsend has to do it. That's the but only. You have caveat. to. You have to. You, I think you've got to. You've got to separate church and state. Right. Like you've got to get rid of. You can't have. Those two doing it. It's like when the when the FBI are like, we've investigated ourselves and found ourselves innocent <laughs> of any wrongdoing. Like you've got to have, like you've got to have separation. You've got to have a VAR staff and a ref staff, and have them do their own thing and work in tandem together. And you would then probably see a little bit better. You would hope, right? Because then if you had a team of three VAR and a team of four refs, like the two linos, the one ref and the, the the fourth of fourth official like then you've got one group where you can draw your line and the other two in the room with you are going what are you doing buddy you've got the wrong defender yeah you've you've literally missed a human being out there yeah yeah like 
And then you've got your checks and balances. And and I would even go so far as to make it mandatory that if you're going to overturn a goal, the ref has to also go to the screen and watch it at this point. Because that would have also eliminated the option that yesterday, probably, right? You would have surely have had him go, I think you've missed a guy <laughs> in his little headset, would he not? It's like how, you know, regardless of your political stance, it's like where you've either got like Trump or Biden in office and they've got the nuclear launch codes. You've got to have someone else there so that there it's not just, oh, bam, done, do it. No, you have someone. Yeah, no, stop pressing <laughs> the button. <laughs> like, you're old. We've got to have someone else here for this. Uh, it's just, it's silly. So Mikey was saying, like, he's suggesting we need VAR to check for clear and obvious VAR errors. Yeah, because there's no fail-safe at the moment. And the, the sheer frequency and volume of these mistakes, if, if it tells us nothing else, it tells us that the current system doesn't work. So what is the solution? Either you sack it all off or you rework it so that we don't end up using uh, technology that is meant to make this whole process simpler and actually just create more ridiculous errors. Yeah, um, we've still got half a season to get through as well before any meaningful decisions are going to get made. And so, you know, you, you get, oh, we're, we're sorry. Like, you, you should have had a goal there. It's like, well... If that's going to happen three times every weekend, like the 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 table itself and and these results are just completely at scrutiny as well. And uh, then you get into that money conversation again, blah blah blah, whatever. It it's ruined and it doesn't work. So something needs to change pretty soon. Otherwise, you're just going to see weird things happening every week, and it will it will become the focal point of the Premier League and not the actual games themselves. Let's just give us the goal afterwards. Give us the three points. Just tack it on at the end, just because we know that they've allowed Man U after the final whistle goes to go and score a goal. <laughs> and get points. So uh, we've set the precedent. Let's just do it now. All right. We've spent probably what's going to amount to a third of this show yeah. uh, <laughs> early days on VAR. So let's talk the rest of the game a little bit, um, which ironically, within six minutes of the game kicking off, we'll be talking about VAR again. But starting lineup. Um, we saw a couple of changes. I think it was three. Uh, McAllister back in, Caicedo in. Uh, we also had Undav start uh, again, his second start. Webster back in, Veltman at right back. Uh, so we had four, four at the back. Uh, Pascal Gross took the uh, McAllister role alongside Caicedo, and McAllister played further up. Um, something he had spoke about after the World Cup that he really wanted to do as a number 10. Um Deserby may be feeling a little bit smug today uh, in, in one way, shape or form as to why he's probably going to put him back at the eighth spot after this after this uh, this display. Um, because Pascal Gross is our leading goal scorer uh, and Alexis McAllister could have had three and a half yesterday and scored none of them. Um, but how were you feeling about that lineup? For me, I, I felt a lot more confident with that midfield group. I still think it's one of the best midfield groups in the league, frankly, uh, when you've got Kaiseido and Alexis next to each other. Um, and was intrigued to see Undav get the start again. Um, it felt like his 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 breakout moment, I think you touched on that, Adam, didn't you? Uh, it felt like it could be, well, this could be the shithouse moment for, for Undav to get, get rolling. Yeah, and then it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I I was very surprised that he started, but I also understand and, and respect. At this point, Deserby has my absolutely unfettered trust. Like, do what you want. Like, you clearly know what you're doing. You might actually be a genius. If you want to play in Dav, if you want to put McAllister in, in that sort of 10 role, great, go for it. Um, 
you know, I think you look back on this one though and probably maybe would have said, I really sort of wish I had Ferguson up top from the start of the game and maybe I would have moved the pieces around a little bit and not have McAllister squander a bunch of chances. But hindsight is a wonderful thing. So yeah, that my only shock there was the Yundav one. Uh, I, I, my hope there was that, yeah, he, he manages to put himself on the map a little bit, get that goal in a big game and suddenly that confidence changes. Instead, we, you know, Unfortunately, we have a guy that trudges off the pitch just after half time, shortly after, and we're sort of back to square one with him. Unfortunately, yeah, that was that was the only surprise, I guess. I think the other one for me was Webster coming in and Veltman at right back. Um, but I think, yeah, hindsight's great as well. I think it was a decent lineup playing four at the back. Um, that sort of most solid for formation that we that we see, and it. I mean, you just look at the stats and we'll talk about them, but it, it obviously worked. I think it was just the case of squandering chances. Um, so, yeah, I think lineup-wise, I was, I was fairly confident. Yeah, and let's talk overarching stats and vibe of the game before we get into some of the key flashpoints barring the Estepinian goal. Um, it felt very much like a Potter special yesterday, didn't it? And I think the majority of that, was and by that I mean all the ball and no goals really. Um and I what I'll I will give a little like asterisk here is I think it was all thanks to Palace and the sheer level of negativity they chose to play with. Um we haven't seen a single team do it to that level this year. Uh, I don't think we've seen a single team do it to that level since Palace <laughs> the last time we played them. Um they they have this style of play and I don't watch them every week I try and avoid watching them as much as possible so I don't know if this is what they have to deal with every single week um and if it is you know I would feel sorry for most fans but not them but if this is the way they play every week then I'm not surprised they're not winning many games um we had 74% possession yesterday and 90% pass success rate uh we had 17 shots seven of them on target uh, I mean, we just every single metric on who scored on FB ref, all of it was is just blue um, in terms of just dominating the team other than being dispossessed, which is Palace is winning that one. Shockingly, right. Um, it was just a totally lopsided game and with no real end product uh, because Palace parked eight people in their box at all times. It was it was awful to watch, I think. It was disgraceful. The even really early on, you looked and they weren't even sitting back but pressing that hard. They just sat deep and tried to condense everything up. And that's why it felt like the first half, a lot of it was just this weird mosh pit of football. Um, and it wasn't particularly nice to watch a lot of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, going back to some of these stats, we had 854 touches to the 389. Um, we put in 25 crosses, 25. Uh, yeah, it's just, they made this into a horrible game. And it's one of those ones where if you walk away with a 2-0 win, which we should have done, uh, you go, well, you just got spanking. Because the the thing that really grated me most of all with the way that they were playing was after we scored, it didn't even look like they were like, okay, now we've got to come out and do something. They still just looked really negative. And it wasn't until they were literally and figuratively handed a goal 
that it felt like there was anything to to do from them. Like it felt like they would have just happily walked away with a one or two nil loss. And we've we've had that problem under Potter a lot, haven't we? Right, like we've struggled to beat these teams that sit back and play the way they do. And although we we see it quite often, we don't see it to the level that they displayed yesterday. But <sighs> under Deserving, we we seem to have came over that speed bump a little bit, didn't we? But it feels like the palace effect, don't you think, Craig? Like, of course, this is the it one is. time we won't do it. Yeah, and I, and I think we, we said it last week as well in that, you know, form sort of goes out the window. A lot of things do when when you have a game like this on the calendar. Um, and, you know, they, the way that they play and, and the like we said, the, the negativity involved, um, you know, a borderline compliment to us but i think it's just the nature of this game is sort of especially after the the purvis sort of disallowed goal is it's like well this we're not getting much out of this if if anything and and sort of resorted to that uh but yeah i think complete domination of the game i think if if i was watching from the other side of the fence I, i wouldn't be too happy about that at all uh we just seem to be better in every department but it's just one of those games where you know anything can happen and and it did right i don't think any of us would have guessed what would happen it is astounding to see them in 12th place isn't it really when you think they're only six places below us but the difference in quality of football is quite shocking um that relegation Mm -hmm. battle is going to go long and hard into the season um none of those teams i would say from palace down uh, are safe um, it's the quality of football is just absolutely dire. Um, six minutes in, uh, let's talk the AR again. They elected to agree with the referee, uh, Mr. Oliver, that we would only be giving Alexis McAllister a yellow card. Um, I have thoughts on it, but I would love to hear yours too. Uh, pretty much every Palestine in existence believe Maka should have been off. Uh, what's your thoughts on the matter with the, uh, obviously, yeah, the total unbiased idea, but what's what are your thoughts on the challenge? Uh, I think it was on Decore, um, but what were, what were your thoughts when that happened when you started seeing the replays while VAR checked that? Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't good, but at the same time, I don't think it had that malicious intent to it. It was early on in a game, and I, I think the studs came up if the ref had elected to show the red card, I think they would have stuck with it. The fact he showed the yellow, they stuck with it. Um, yeah, fortunate in that regard that we weren't immediately down to 10 men, but we got screwed by the officiating in, in a way anyway. So, you know, it's um, pick your poison. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's a, it's a dark yellow or an orange card, as people say. Uh, it could, it could probably go either way. Um, like you said, there's, I think just the, the flip of the foot without any sort of malicious, malicious intent, as, as you said, sort of stopped it from being upgraded. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a, it's a heavy yellow and I think it sort of helped. It was early in the game as well. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, at the beginning of the season, I would have thought that was a red, honestly, like he was so high. Um, and I know he hit his shin, so like the shin pad, if he bothered wearing one, took a lot of the brunt of that. But all season long, we've seen those challenges come in and I'm only getting yellow cards. So I will say at least once. Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge from McTominay on Caicedo is the, the biggest one. Like, it was identical, but with more talk and he only got a yellow for it. So at this point, 
to me, like obviously they've decided that that type of challenge is is one that they're happy just giving a booking for as long as it doesn't result in serious injury. Is is my opinion on that? I think that that must be a decision that they've made that they're just not that bothered about it, which is not great really because it could <laughs> could really hurt fire. Um, but we we got away with it. It carried on, uh, and that was in the sixth minute. Um, and that first six minutes were probably Palace's best six minutes of the game um, until we had the goal disallowed, in which case they had another good six minutes after, after that until half time. Um, and outside of that, they were largely anonymous, weren't they? Um, Will Hughes went off injured. Uh, Sambi Lukonga came on, got himself booked almost immediately. Um, and finally, on the hour mark, uh, Solly March, Adam, your favourite player, player of the year, I think, is what you're going to be. Player of the decade, yeah. Um, made an astoundingly good run uh, at the back post from a also astoundingly good cross from Est Opinion for the, the well-deserved lead. Uh, I don't know what magic Deserby has done on Solomon March, but that alone lends credence to the genius, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, he's just being told to get into places he previously wouldn't. And he had lots of flashes throughout that game. You can see he's confident. like He was smashing long balls all over the place, or at least attempting to. There was a couple of times he would just glide across from the right side all the way to the left and just not allow anyone to get the ball off him. And he was almost like inviting that defence to step up and... And they didn't because they were cowards. Um, but it, he, he's been obviously very impressive. A couple of games recently where he's been a, a little bit more down. I also do think the way in which we set up, and by the way, I don't know if this was intentional yesterday or just to, based on the balance of how Palace were playing. We're, we've we've been very, very focused down the left side for most of the season for obvious reasons, right? We, we push on that Estupinion, Caicedo and Matoma link. Yesterday, we were way more prevalent on the right side, which is unusual for us. We've 41% of our attacking went down the right as opposed to only 32% on the left. That brings Solly way more into the game. I thought it was quite unusual considering Veltman was behind him. Normally, we'd, we'd see that if it's if it's Lamptey fronted by March. Given Veltman and March, I don't know, maybe he just he was able to do a little bit more because he felt more confident with Veltman behind him. So that, that allowed him to show off a little bit more. But at the same time, at the... Um, Slight negative to, to Matoma, who probably had one of his most anonymous games of the year. Yeah, yeah, and we're, we're getting a, a few bits into the chat as well. Is that I think the natural double team on the Matoma Estepinian left side now? Because I think we we talk about it at length every week in in terms of how good that that left side is, um, and it, you have to do something to to sort of mitigate that. And by nature, that leaves the right side free. Um, we mentioned last week, if Lamptey's playing, March has to be a little bit more defensive. With as solid as Veltman is at right back, it just gives March that free roam because he knows that Veltman's probably going to help him. So I think when you see March pop up in the centre and on the right, it's because he has the freedom to do so. And also the Zerbi's given him that confidence that that's exactly what you should be doing and can do. So go ahead and, and knock yourself out, which is great. And and we're seeing that just desserts now as well. Uh, Esther Pinion was fantastic but March being in the right place at the right time um, I don't think we've we've really said that too much uh, but it's very good very good and him shushing the Palace fans as well when he's such a shy little boy was uh, even better as well yeah he was all about it wasn't he it was good um, yeah I think that the 
and I, I noted it during the game, there was multiple points where Estepinian was fully like just a central midfielder, like a central attacking midfielder, like fully in that Cancelo role that Pep made very popular over here. And anybody that listens regularly to the podcast will note that this was actually De Zerbi's tactic first um, that Pep borrowed uh, for his fullbacks um, in his system to invert them to such a level. Uh, and we saw it massively yesterday. Uh, okay, you want to bring two players all the way out wide that Matango will just drag them all the way to the to the touchline? Cool. Uh, Estepinian will just take up place in midfield and just do what he wants. And we saw, well, I mean, arguably, not arguably, he scored a goal from that position and then created a superb assist because everybody was also still focused on Matoma. Um It's all well and good wanting to mark Matoma out the game, uh, but his left back behind him should have had a goal and an assist to his name yesterday. Uh, coaches are going to quickly realise that they're kind of effed either which way, aren't they? Pretty much. It's back to that pick your poison phrase. Um, uh, given given the fact that we now have, and I think we were talking earlier on in the season, like hopefully Matoma can keep this up because we really don't want, want to rely on whatever March can come up with, but he's become a player that um, we didn't know existed um, but you know, I think there's a uh, Mikey. Mikey brought up that let's let's not talk about Solly's corner. I did laugh when he took that because you just <laughs> you just thought, oh, there's a little flash. There's a flash of last season, Solly, just shanking out the pitch. <laughs> uh, there were a few moments though, weren't there, Craig? Prior to the Solly March goal, where the Albion tried to do a little bit too much with the ball at the back uh, and presented them. What should really be considered two guilt-edged chances, chances to take the lead before we... I think one was before the Estepinian goal and one was just into the second half uh, that took two good blocks out of Webster, I think, both times. I was about Playing to, with yeah. fire, aren't we? Yeah, I was about to say, Webster did well yesterday to save our blushes a little bit. I, I felt like we were a little bit slower out the blocks when we're talking about the artificial transitions or whatever Deserbi does to try and bait the the press and and try and beat it it just looked like we we're a little bit of step off yesterday uh where we invited a little bit too much pressure and allowed them to to get the ball and, and to create a chance and, and webster fair enough like right place right time and, and was able to to make those blocks but unusual we we don't normally do that and we're normally much better in that respect so one of those things, I think the, the domination alone means that I don't really want to focus on it too much. But there were a couple of times there where we probably took too long to get that out and, and find the spare man. I don't know whether that's because McAllister was at the 10. I, I'm not going to speculate in any way. I didn't pay too much attention to it, to be completely fair. But it was it was something that was there and, and we had to do something about it. So I don't want to see that. But, you know, we, we move. The only reason it's worth bringing up uh, a couple of hospital passes that put us into serious danger is because we're about to talk about Robert Sanchez uh, and the guy and the equaliser. So we've spent 17 minutes on VAR today uh, and ruling out the Estepinian goal. Uh, we've definitely noted the fact that there are actually multiple times where other players outside of Robert Sanchez made horrendous defensive choices playing the ball out of the back that could have resulted uh, in two goals separately before this. Um Let's talk about Alexis McAllister before we get to the equaliser. 
because he's the other one that's worth touching on, right? Because I posted yesterday on Twitter that Sanchez's job may well be under threat come the summer. I think Deserby will be looking at it. Whether he decides to go with him or not doesn't matter. Like, I definitely think that that role will be looked at. I think it would be remiss of him not to. I think it would be his due diligence to look at what's out there and whether he thinks he can get someone better or if he would prefer someone, just like the centre-half role that we talked about just before January that we thought someone would probably be keen on looking at, which would result in some of our best players possibly not playing, right? So Alexis McAllister yesterday, uh, three or four superb opportunities um, to take the lead uh, and at best timid, at worst pathetic attempts on goal uh, for a player that usually doesn't show that kind of just timidity, right? right? He's usually that like, absolutely smacks him. And it was really poor yesterday, wasn't it? It was bad. He had one early on. Uh, then you could also argue that Matoma could have done better with his chance. We tried to do his classic sort of right foot into the far post. Guaita just saw that coming. Annoying for us, Guaita was very impressive yesterday. Um, yeah, the most the most uh, sort of horrendous error from Mac yesterday for me was the header. Uh, and that was the one where you just couldn't understand how that didn't go in. I, I I don't know whether he was just a little off or whether it just compounded after you missed one or two of them and it's just in his head. Um, but I, I also don't, I, I frankly don't love him in that slightly more forward position. I don't think he's able to imprint himself and impose himself on the game as much as he'd like. Yesterday, like despite the fact that it felt like he was all over it, he had 56 touches of the ball. And just to give you a comparison, Caicedo had 90 and Pascal Gross had 102. Now, of course, that's the way in which Palace had set up a little bit, but Mac got frozen out in another game recently where he was pushed a little bit further forward too. And I much rather see him help to dictate tempo rather than be the one that's trying to get on the end of these types of finishes. Um, uh, again, easy to say with hindsight, but I'd, I'd rather him be that metronome and, and build up that confidence and dictate the play as opposed to being the one who is meant to be the clinical finisher. And I don't know, he's just not really done that in his career, has he? Let's be honest. Yeah, I agree. I think he's much better in that role alongside Caicedo uh, than he is at the, sort of the 10. I think when, when you are in that role, you need to be more effective with the limited touches that we're seeing because as you just touched on he had yeah literally half the touches as as Caicedo or Gross and you have to do more with those touches and you have to be more effective and be more clinical I guess that's maybe the right word um so yeah we've seen him in that role before and he's looked good I think he's a lot more purposeful when he has more touches and he's able to dictate the game. I just think his, his reading and his decision-making is, is good. And he's just not clinical enough in those areas, especially with the header, the sort of side foot volley could have done a little bit better, but that's tough. Like that's a hard chance to take. And the, the header is the guilt edge chance that we're probably talking about here where that needs to hit the target. So a few there where where he squandered. Um, he isn't the only one to make mistakes during the game. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's just 
I would prefer to also see him alongside Caicedo. And if Gross has to push up to bring the other wingers in, then that seems like the better choice for me. But uh, again, we, we say I implicitly trust the Zerbi and what he's doing anyway. Yeah, we had a 2.5 XG yesterday and Alexis accounted for 1.4 of them, uh, which is not great. Um, but it is what it is. Um, Mikey in the chat saying that all my tweets have been about Hogwarts Legacy. He's not wrong. It's fantastic. And I've never even watched a film and I've only read like half the books. But What? Yeah. It's really good though. The game is really, 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 really good. Yes. And then I found some incredibly stupid discourse online and I had to say something about that too. But uh, it's really good. You should play it. It's excellent. The whole... I'm just a fan of the genre in general, so that's why I bought it after the mm. reviews. Um, and yeah, it is fantastic. I'm a, I'm, a fair, I'm a fair way for it as well. And yeah, it's worth picking up. Well, it's, you, you guys took all the magic off the pitch. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, all right. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the the lack of magic. Uh, I wouldn't trust just about anything in Sanchez's hands after 69 minutes yesterday. Uh, the ball comes in, pretty rudimentary catch, really. Nothing nothing too too crazy. Was way above everybody. Uh, six foot seven Sanchez rises nice and high to collect the ball uh, and probably distribute pretty quickly for a counter attack. Except, wait, what happens next? <laughs> uh, Sanchez randomly, I'm not even sure he drops it more than like slaps it down uh, right into the ground and for Tompkins to pop into the back of the net with an obnoxious header and a goal. Uh, and that's it at that point, is it? That just sums up the entire game upon game upon game since Knockout's belter five years ago at Sellers that we have to play every single year against these tickets. That just summarized it perfectly, I think. Um, and that was it. How are we feeling? Robert Sanchez. Cold. I, he didn't have anything to do the entire game apart from sort of create those triangles and, and beat the press. Uh, yeah, it's it's a blunder. It, and it, I'm sure he's his own worst critic, I'm pretty sure, um, in that he's obviously going to be the worst feeling about this. Uh, it's one of those, and, and we can go on to the cliches about, you know, goalkeeper mistakes being highlighted because it is such a vital area. Uh, he knows it's a mistake. It's a big one. And it, it has cost us to an extent. Yeah. Not really too much more you can say about it. We can we can get on to the whole uh, second goalkeeper conversation. Um, but in of itself, it is a mistake. I think you take it, the Zerbi sort of backed him up and, and said he also makes mistakes. Everyone does. So uh, not really too much more to say about it as an incident itself. My opinion is probably going to be a little bit more controversial. Probably. Uh, yeah. I, I, um, if we're going to... If we're going to moan about VAR having all of the tools in place to basically just be able to do their jobs easily and then cause a massive stink when someone makes a human error, um, then I'm I'm holding Robert Sanchez to the same standard. Uh, the guy is how tall is Robert Sanchez? Six seven, according to the official stat line. Six foot seven. So no one comes anywhere near to this guy. He is wearing. Latex gloves that stick to a ball. Um, and he wasn't really under any pressure at all. I will say, first of all, that I'm a little bit annoyed because I also didn't really think it was a foul that, that Webster committed. 
to, to give the stupid free kit that they got in the first place. But I'm watching it as I'm talking here. He's under no pressure. He's he's running to his side a little bit and a tiny bit backwards. And it's just unfathomable that a man who is 25 years old, who has been a professional footballer his entire life, that means he trains four to five days a week, literally doing this thing, just catching a ball. This is the easiest thing for him to do. And he can't do that. And there's a difference if this isn't the, if this is the first time and it's Sanchez is such a reliable, reliable keeper and he's great. He never makes these mistakes. But how many times do we talk about Sanchez? And we've been defending him for a long time at this point. These conversations happened last season as well. And there was a big period of time where everyone was calling for his head. Um, but at this point, I'm starting to, I'm starting to take issue because it keeps happening. There keeps being some form of issue that crops up. It might not be a howler like this, but there's distribution errors. There's positioning errors that, that, that can change the game. Problem I see is I don't see quite enough of the upside with him. When you compare also some of the other really, really, really interesting young keeper prospects that exist in the premier league, uh, David Rea at Brentford, Melier, there's a whole host of them. Um, I don't think Sanchez is that standard. And I think he makes more mistakes than those guys. And when you bring in keepers like Allison and Edison, firstly, they're on a completely different level from terms of upside. Yeah, they make the mistakes, but they're also, you know, number one, but number two out there in terms of what they do. And Sanchez is nowhere near that ceiling at the moment. So at a certain point, I think we all have to go, when does, when does 25 stop being the excuse for being young? Then he's going to figure this stuff out. Because I, I don't, I don't know if he's the guy, um, and that needs to be a conversation. And I, I think it will be a conversation. Uh, I don't think he's going to lose his place this this year. That's for sure. Um, a lot of people who are calling for Jason Steele to start at the time um, when they when he did it yesterday, there was a, there was a couple of people saying start Steele, uh, and I think they were serious. Um, forgetting very quickly what his Newport performance was like a year and a half ago. Uh, Steele is not the answer. Or if he is, I dread to think what the question was. Um, hey, he did play well to... against, was it middle? Who did he play really well against? It was a cup game. Give him, his, give him one bit was... of credit. Was it Borough? I think it might have been Borough, yeah. yeah. I'm not even sure he had anything to do against Borough much, really, because we just that. No, anyway. Yeah. Um, I think he will be under pressure. I, I think just about every player in that 11 will be under pressure. Um, but we talked at length about the places that Deserby will want to improve on. And one of those was Winger. Um, and he seems to have turned Solly March into Baby Berardi. Um, and Mitoma is on his way to the Ballon d'Or. So if you're thinking that he's more comfortable with his attacking wingers and attacking players at this point, with so many on the bench, right? Your Sarmientos, your Buenanotes, the pup that we're just seeming to just bring them in at will um we know he's looking at center half we know that absolutely i'm sure he's probably looking at fullback because he can never quite decide what he wants at right back so i'm sure that's a part of the puzzle that he's looking at striker it's no big deal no big secret we've been looking at striker for the last twelve thousand years um goalkeeper i think now has bumped up a significant bunch, right? If you're seeing the performances that you're seeing from Solly March uh, and he, he's putting names on a list or positions on a, in a list, right? And 
that's generally how the Albion have always worked. And Gus Poyet spoke about it when we had our interview with him all those years ago, that he spoke about the fact that that's how Brighton and Bloom worked at the time. He would list out what his formation was or his preferred formations, and they would make a list of players at each position and they would sign them for that position in based on like which position is weakest today. Uh, and that's why they went out and signed Will Buckley. That's why they went out and signed a lot of what? Like, and that's what he's going to be saying here. I'm sure it's going to be the same conversation at this point. I think Deserby is going to be more confident of Solly March and Mitoma than he is of Robert Sanchez. Don't you? Craig, I'll ask you because you're more of a, you're more confident in that. Do you, do you think that that is the case now? Or do you think that he may well still be looking for, for somewhere, somewhere else above that? No, I, th- I think it will probably be bumped up. I think you're right in the, the, I guess, the necessity or the priority order of what we want to bring in or who we want to bring in, and especially when it comes to position, it, it, it is never like invariably going to change. And, and I think goalkeepers should be somewhere up there. It, it's more, I guess, then you come into the, the age-old question of who's going to come in to either displace Sanchez and him be happy to sit on the bench or or are you going to spend enough money on a caliber of keeper that we know Sanchez can be I think at, at the moment you know there is a mistake in him and we, we're speaking about it but to bring in the caliber of Sanchez that someone can actively compete against because Steele isn't that guy I think we he even he knows that I'm sure but it's more around who are you going to bring in that actively com- is competitive to that and I, I don't think any team does Really, if you if you look at the benches of any other Premier League teams, you're not actively switching out your goalkeepers. There's a very clear number one and a very clear number two. So it, it's more of a case of the logistics around that as well, is that if we are looking for a keeper and that priority is, you know, having a new number one, what happens to Sanchez? Is he going to be OK with that? Or is, is he going to just sit on the bench or does there need to be more of a full swap there? Uh, I... I'm I'm an advocate for Sanchez just because of how good he can be. I know he has a mistake in him, and and I get that. Um, but I just think if we're looking for better, it's going to cost us a hell of a lot of money. Uh, I'll take it one step further. Sanchez is the worst player in our starting eleven. Tell me a position where we're weaker. You could argue central. You could argue, but I think Cole Will and Dunk are stronger in their respective roles than Sanchez is. Cole Will's irrelevant after April, May. Webster, when he's on form, is better than Sanchez. When's he last been on form? <laughs> he played pretty well yesterday. He did, to be fair. He played pretty well. Undef. Okay, Mike is saying Undef. Firstly, I absolutely had your pants down there. Well, yeah. Let's be honest. And how long have how long have we as a fan base been talking about the lack of number nine? But Ferguson, I think you could argue Ferguson has shown more in the brief period of time that he's been playing in, in, in some reasons. Look, I hope Sanchez works out. And the key thing is, every time I have a go at a player, they turn around the next season and become uh, the best player at the club, arguably. So uh, if he does a solid march, then great. I would love to have some egg thrown in my face here. But um, I, I, it, I think it needs to be looked at. I, I don't like that he's... He's the only show in town. And you do see historically some of the better clubs out there. Let's use Arsenal as an example. I say better clubs. I use that as a, you know, the bigger, more money history and all that stuff. 
how how much were they slighted when they brought Ramsdale in? It's like, oh, come on, what are you doing? You already have a good keeper. Like you've you've cycled through multiple keepers, and now no one's questioning that decision. Um, we we are in a position where, especially if the if the rest of this this um, campaign ends up where we all want it to be, is it's okay where you have players that are stronger in in, in the starting eleven, players that are weaker. That's natural, of course. That's going to happen. What you don't want is players that have too many mistakes or too much of a mistake in them and they're at the detriment of your side. And at the moment, Sanchez is more on that side of things. He's, he's more of more howler potential than he is of upside potential. And we, he can't let the, the side down. If we, if we end this year, two points off of European football, sure. Let's all, we can all blame VAR, but we can also blame Robert Sanchez's slippery hands. Slippery hands. Um, yeah, no, it's fair. Um, I think it's going to be, we've spoke about it a few times, but I think it's going to be just a phenomenally important summer coming up uh, with the level of talent we have, the interest teams will have in them, and this being Deserby's first real window, because we know Bloom doesn't treat January as one. Um, so like, this is going to be massive. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think we've summarised it pretty well. Sanchez isn't 100% safe, but you've got to really be confident if you're going to replace him. Uh, and I assume you would want to find him a new club because I don't think he would at all be happy sitting on the bench, Craig. So then you've got to probably sell him at a cut price uh, because you're not going to want to, he's not going to want to stay in. They're going to know that he's not wanted. Um, so you're in a bit of a problem there as well. Um, man of the match yesterday i'm interested to hear your views on this one um i feel like there's going to be a couple of different options um but i'll go first just so i feel like i always hand it to you two to do it uh i'm gonna go first today uh, i'm gonna get it to est opinion um solly march was high on my list uh but purvis really should have had a goal and an assist yesterday um he shone thanks to mitoma not uh he, he took that bullet for him um and boy oh boy did he make the most of it he took that with both hands i thought he was excellent yesterday defensively he was excellent uh offensively he was incredibly dangerous he was one of our most dangerous players um and he should have had a goal uh and he should have and he did have an assist from an absolutely phenomenal cross um and for me that's that's enough for me i'm going to give him my man of the match yeah, I mean, he was going to be mine. So I, I know sort of March got the the, the goal and, and was dangerous. I think it, either of them, you can make a, a worthy and justifiable cause. I, I just think what he does and sort of in that inverted fullback role, turning into a central midfielder, still being very good defensively and being the attacking threat that he is, um, it's incredible that we got him for as, as much as he was. And I know that's probably <laughs> it's up there with the most we've spent on the player, but it still feels like an absolute bargain. Um, it is, it's remarkable how good he is, uh, especially if you combine him with Matoma. Matoma has an off day. Purvis shows up uh, and sort of spares that blushes on the left-hand side. It, yeah, he he was very, very good. He continues to be good. And he's, he's mine as well, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I will put some respect on Adam Webster's name again. 75 minutes of football he played uh, yesterday. Two total tackles, the same as uh, Lewis Dunk didn't have any, same as Joel Veltman. Two interceptions, a clearance, two block shots. 
Um, I thought we was, we've been worried about Adam Webster for quite a while. We've been talking about how oh, is, is he the same player? Is he going to get back to where he needs to be? He was feeling ill last game, didn't play well. Uh, it was really nice to see that. Um, we didn't do man of the match last week, though. My man of match last week was Estupinion, and the man of match this week is Estupinion. And uh, everyone else at the club and some of the other players that we have and the talks of outgoings and obviously the Caicedo saga and all of that stuff, I think outside of the club, I think if you're a Brighton fan, you realise how good this guy is. Outside, though, people aren't talking about Estupinion, and he's quietly been one of our most impressive players of the year, and and that's coming in for someone who was was our player of the year last year. Um, and I think Stephen mentioned it in the chat a little bit earlier as well. Um, you know, we saw Kukurea for 60-something, and we bought Estupinion, I believe, around the 20-something mark. Uh, I'm not sure if the fee was disclosed. I'll take that trade any day. Let's do it again. Uh, very impressive and we just I mean that's just how we keep doing it isn't it Um, next up uh, we've got a little bit of a quiet period coming up haven't we due to Newcastle making the the final of the Coconut Cup so we've got Fulham next at at home which is massive really Uh, it's a battle for Europe Brighton versus Fulham what everybody expected at the start of the season I'm sure (laughs) six versus six versus seven uh, both on 35 points, um, both flying, uh, frankly, uh, both performing above expectations, uh, both playing good football, both becoming incredibly hard to beat. Uh, Fulham had a good result this weekend. Uh, they just pummeled a resurgent forest who had been phenomenal in 2023, uh, and they just made light work of them, beat them 2-0. Uh, but coming away from home, Always a little bit tougher. Uh, the Amex will need to be noisy, I'm sure. Um, they are a lot better at home than they are away, Fulham. Uh, they are not a great away team. Uh, they are what let me see. Their goals, I mean, they're they're just a lot more defensive. They hold things down a lot better. So what are we thinking? Fulham at home, uh, followed by Stoke almost 10 days afterwards, quite a ways away because that Newcastle game and then West Ham after that. So we've got a lot of uh, time off, really, between now and, and the FA Cup, just the one game now, between now and the end of February. Um, big one, though. Uh, what are you expecting for this one? I, I don't know. Uh, the Fulham have been very good this year. Uh, they've, they've got a lot of a lot of things to be very happy about. I think if we take the game to them and, and we do as well as we know that we can, um, you know, you're, you're going in sort of hoping for a win, but you can't discredit how well they're doing and and how much they're how much they're doing as well. They're seventh in the table. It's going to be a really tough game. But if if we if we play to our strengths, if we if we if we do what we're capable of, um, I think we can give them a good game and hopefully come out with three points. Yeah, it's 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 going to be tough. Um, that's what's also frustrated me even more about yesterday. Because if, if we get those extra two points, we're at 37 with two games in hand on 39-point Spurs, and you start to you start to get dizzy. Uh, uh, now you're you really are. I know Fulham have played two more games than us, but you don't want that weird little momentum shift to happen either, do you? Um, especially as you've then got the bit the 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 Stoke game, then you play important games against West Ham, Leeds, and Palace, all of which can you know, define how this plays out. This is going to be a tough game. I'm not going to predict it because I predicted we beat Palace 3-0. Um, in my defence, uh, <laughs> that could have been the case uh, if there weren't various interventions and 
You know, what's the opposite of the hand of God? The hand of the devil with Sanchez. I suppose you could call it that if you want to. Uh, yeah. So I, I, my hope here is obviously that we win. I think we can and will win. Um, be interested to see what lineup Deserby goes with because I want to see Ferguson play this one. Yeah, I think it's time, isn't it? I think I think it was pretty clear that he had been given his chance under with 57 minutes or whatever. It was a pretty quick substitution after the second half began. Uh, he didn't kind of waste much time. I was interested to see the lack of subs they had made yesterday too um, for a game that we were chasing. Uh, interesting to note that he didn't bring on any of the incisos or, or, or well, just any. Two, really- two subs, right? Yeah. Yeah, he obviously saw something he liked and just wanted to keep going, keep keep knocking on the door. But yeah. Yes. Uh, so just a couple of things to touch on before we wrap up, really. Uh, Southampton sat Nathan Jones today, uh, who's been undergoing a very much kind of meltdown via... Mental breakdown, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're Southampton, you're bottom of the table... Uh, you have 15 points to your name. You're four points adrift from safety. Uh, Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard? Which one are you taking? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they talking about Jesse Marsh? Can you imagine? Are they really? Mm. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just want to make everything in work. By the way, yeah, think what happens when you're a South Coast club with an incredible way of manufacturing the sale of good talent and repeating the process while staying in the Premier League uh, and thinking that could never end. Uh, do not count chickens. We are we are living the life at the moment and, and don't laugh too badly at Southampton because that's we don't want that to be the ghost of Christmas future. I mean, as it stands, we are going to be a very isolated club in the Premier League next season if it ends like this uh, because the South Coast will be solely blue and white across the entire length from side to side uh, because Bournemouth and Southampton are propping up the bottom of the table right now. Uh, both lauded for, for good young prospects. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's just enjoy it while we can. Um, neither of them had Tony Bloom, though, let's be fair. Um, I will say that that's a bit of a bit of a ace in the hole. Um, Everton with Sean Dyche. You think he's going to bring them out of the mire? They're now third from bottom. Um, they obviously have a decent enough squad. Uh, what do you think about that? And let's also touch on Jesse Marsh being fired from Leeds as well. Major Leeds soccer is no more. Um, after signing about half the US national team last week, he's binned off. Um, lots of movement after January, which is always the weirdest thing in that bottom group of teams. What, who do you think is going to pay off? Who do you think is not? Very strange. It was like the... The Jesse Marsh thing was very too cool, wasn't it? Um, just getting rid of him three days after the transfer window just closed. Um, very strange. I think, yeah, Leeds are, Leeds are having issues finding a manager at the moment. I think Bielsa's assistant doing well at West Brom. He didn't fancy it. Um, there's a, a few other managers that have sort of said no. So I think they they might be in trouble. I think Everton will be fine. I think Sean Dyche is a, a good manager and he has a, a very solid team there that you can get the most out of i think they'll they'll survive this season and then sort of reshape next year so i'd be worried if i was leeds uh i would be optimistic if i was everton yeah southampton bournemouth leeds go down for me but um a lot of football to play i would i would love to see palace start to get a little nervy because they are not good you look at that starting lineup as well by the way i know we talked about how they played negative and all that i mean you don't really have a choice full of absolute crap 
they're not they're not a good football team. Um, so it makes what I guess Vieira's stuff from last year a little bit more impressive. But yeah, it's it's weird. And then of course we've also got the the Man City story and news that came out uh, since we last recorded as well, which was dropped like a bombshell. But I don't know about you, but I was reading on this and reading all the leaks and everything, and. I wasn't surprised. Like, I just assumed they'd been doing all of this and we were all like fine with it. Like, oh, you mean they're basically sort of like funneling money through basically a shell company? Yeah, I thought we all knew that's what they did. Like, we've been joking about that for quite a while now. Like, apparently not. Apparently they're not allowed to do that. Don't know. Well, there's, well, there's some weird hysteria about them being excluded from the league and stuff. Um, it's just very, very convenient timing. Uh, of the the relaunch of that Super League, to be honest, um, but that's that's <laughs> yeah. just that's just the cynic in me. But yeah, you mean you're not excited about the the new proposition? <laughs> now with more zeros, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I do enjoy Sky Sports News put up a thing the other day. At the the Premier League charges and all of the charges that they put up, and then potential punishments handed to Manchester City. And there was five of them. And it does make me laugh that you've got all these good ones and then the obvious one at the end. You've got suspension from playing league matches. Why even write that? <laughs> points, de- points deduction. It's not going to happen. Recommendation that the club is expelled from the league. Okay. Cancellation or refusal of a player's registration. Now, it depends on the sign in there. Like if you have a couple of youth prospects that you can get away with, just shoving them under the carpet, that might happen. And then finally, uh, just shuffled under the carpet, fine. Yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. What's I wonder gonna happen, what's going to happen. I, you know what's the least surprising thing out of all of this? They'll get fined and they'll win the league. But we, it's just there's just an absolute air of inevitability about it. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um it's it's pretty wild. Uh, I do enjoy that the Super League is now just essentially being laughed at by the league organisations at this point, though. Um, they have finally kind of acted proactively to protect their own backs a little bit. And now these new Super Leagues are just being greeted with like literal like laughter from La Liga and co, um, which is never a good sign when you're pushing forward this new proposition that you've probably spent millions on formatting uh, and your entire league structure just come back going, <laughs> nah, <laughs> got to be good ain't it? I really do hate the idea that we could potentially have a, a pay-to-play competition of European football where we only see the sides that spend the most amount of money competing and winning it. That would be an awful, awful conundrum to have. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe there'd be a catchy th- uh, theme song for it as well. And a big trophy, <laughs> ears or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. It'd be horrible though. I'd hate that. Bouncing back to manager Sackins, um, Nathan Jones was sacked after five wins in thirteen uh, and a little bit of a meltdown. Um, Graham Potter has two wins in thirteen and is having a few meltdowns of himself. General consensus from some of the blue checks now believe his job may be in genuine doubt if he doesn't beat Dortmund over two legs. You think that's possible? Or you think he'll be sticking all the way through to the summer? At least. I don't know. I don't think they would have seen it go this bad. And I think that's that's right. where that's, that's my where too. I think that's where the genuine sort of comes from now is like, oh like a couple of losses here and there. It's not like he's gonna go two and thirteen, is it? And then 
that happens and you go, uh, right, okay, maybe we should be looking at this with a keener eye. And I, I think that's probably what's happening is, okay, this is going a lot worse than we thought. We knew it wouldn't go great because for whatever reason, complete reshuffle, spend half a billion pounds, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I, you'd be silly if they weren't talking about it because they're currently, what, 10th in the table. There's no real sense that they're going to turn it around. There's no really good performances and they're, you know, blowing teams out of the water. Uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely looking at it. I, I don't know. They might get rid of him pretty soon. I, it's It's crazy. You're, unfortunately, you're a little bit wrong there. They are ninth in the table, just behind oh, them. Sorry. Uh, Minnow's Liverpool. Uh, so, plucky, yeah, plucky Liverpool. Plucky Liverpool just trying to make their way up <laughs> the table. Uh, well, all we the one consistent we do know is that um, billionaires are famously uh, sensible and don't make knee-jerk decisions. So I'm sure Todd Bowley is sitting there, knows exactly what he's going to do and has a long-term plan. But you're right, like it almost feels like sort of like a marriage with a prenup on it where, I uh, know oh we're, we're in this together, but we're, this is a long-term thing. But then, you know, they're like, oh, crap, it, it could be this bad. Oh, no, 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 we, we really didn't expect it to be this bad. Uh, we thought maybe he lost like two, three games and we, yeah, he's it's a long-term project. Yeah, they've really not seen enough, have they? But the problem is they've also structured so much around him. Like all of these players that have come in, focus on youth, all of the Brighton sort of back backroom staff that we we know very well, um, Brighton players. Uh, at a certain point, you have to go. Well, we would have to rip this thing back to the studs if we're going to rebuild it. Um, and I don't know whether they've got a name that's there. Whether they'd be targeting, you know, Zidane's Zidane. and things like that, right? But I don't know. I, I... <laughs> We'll see. I mean, it'd be fun. I, again, I, I'm still not. I'm not one of these people that's going to be like, "I hate you, Graham Potter." I, I get it. I went on to a new job. I'm like, sure, like, it's annoying. I, I, I hate the Bruno stuff. That's upsetting. But um, I don't want to see him completely crash and burn. But at the same time, I don't really care. So if he gets fired, I'm sure it'd be all right. He's going to have millions in severance, so it'd be fine, won't? millions and millions yeah i mean that's the only reason i brought it up really i know we talked about it a month ago where the potter out really started from chelsea fans and the general consensus from all of us was stop it like you'll be fine like you'll you'll be bang average you'll finish seventh and everything will be fine but we know a month on and it's really quite bad um i watched their game yesterday most of it against west ham and they played well to start with uh and as soon as that equalizer went in it just looks like a team that has no faith in any of their teammates and none of their coaching staff at all. Um, it looks bad. Uh, and if you get rumours of a man like Zidane on the on the prowl, uh, players are going to, at that level, respect the name initially more than anything and will probably turn out better performances based on the fact that he's in the dugout more than any conversation he's even had on the tactics board, which is really sad, but that's the reality at that level. And I don't think he realized that when he took that job Um, for all the master's degrees he has in emotional intelligence, they've had to bring in an outsider in emotional intelligence and therapy and stuff like that. Did you see that this week as well? They've actually had to bring in a specialist in team building and emotional well-being or something like that for the team. Like, 
that's something they've had to do. It just because most bad. of the players don't know one another. I was about <laughs> to say, yeah. <laughs> like, Who's this? Who's this guy? It's because the entire team back back from staff has all changed within the space of five months. Like, what do you expect? Oh, it's not clicking. It's like, yeah, because I don't know everyone. Yeah, it's it's. I'm, I still laugh at the fact that Enzo Fernandez was purchased for the man he was, and he's isn't he played like seventeen top flight games? <laughs> so I don't. It's just I don't know. It's insane. Whatever they're doing, it's funny to look at. But if they want to try and raid us for any more players, feel free. But just put the price up a little bit, and we'll rinse them. Uh, you can have as many Kukureyas as you want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, obviously the conversation's being had because he is ex-Brighton and it went the way it did. But I think if this podcast was around 10 years ago, I, I would have wanted to have had a conversation about Moyes at Man U too, just because of how hilariously bad it went from the start. Um, it's worth bringing up when you see something with a big club like that go as bad as it is. Um, I know there'll probably be some out there with like, he's not Brighton person anymore, stop talking about him. But like, it's just so monumentally weird that it's worth talking about. Um Fulham next week, Stoke in the Cup, uh, and then West Ham. So we will be back next weekend. I will be at West Ham. I will be there. So I would love, love to it. meet some of you guys. I'll be in the West Ham upper. I've got a season ticket from a friend of mine who's not able to come. Uh, so I will be there in the in the prime seats uh, to watch us dick West Ham. Uh, I picked a good one because legally West Ham are not allowed to beat us. Uh, so we should be. <laughs> We should be in for a good game. Um, but yes, we will be back next week to discuss Fulham. It's a big one, uh, which is not what anyone expected at the start of the season. But uh, do you have anything else you want to chat about? I feel like we've covered a lot in this in this hour and 12 minutes. A little bit on VAR, just just for the end. <laughs> a, little, a little toast. No, that's, that's enough. I think it's enough for everyone. <laughs> Superb. All right, cool. Uh, so we will speak to you all next week, uh, hopefully on better terms. Um, and it, I, honestly, uh, just very quickly, Mikey asks, uh, who is your player of the season so far? Why is it Mitoma? And then who would be your number two? Real quick, don't even give me reasoning. Just give your names. as no- Who is your player of the season, one and or two? If Mitoma is one of those two, then you don't need to include him because it's a given. Purvis and Solly. Uh, it's Matoma's one. Uh, yeah, it's the opinion. I will go Matoma in March. It's the top three, right? It's the top three? Yeah. Consensus that's top three. Consensus, I think. Uh, all right, fellas, uh, we will speak next weekend. Uh, have a good week, everybody, uh, and we will speak to you again soon. Thanks, everyone. And we'll have outro music. Oh!